So, I've been wrestling with this text all week. And I was working on the, the introduction to it, and I was thinking, the only thing that kept coming to me was just like how convicting this passage is for me. And I kept praying, God, give me some other story, maybe about somebody else or some situation about uh, envy and about envying others and ministries and, and you know, these, the disciples of John. And I kept praying, like, God, just somebody else. Maybe some like, funny story about my kids or something like that, but it just kept coming back to me about um, how I, too, wrestle with envy, like these, these disciples of John. You see, the thing is, these disciples, they've lost their focus. They've lost what they were doing. They've gotten off the track, and they begin to envy the other disciples, or, or those begin to envy Jesus and, and what was happening with him. See, they come, to, they come to John, and I hear them saying something along the lines of, he's taking all of our glory. You see, Jesus had just got done, he just finished speaking with Nicodemus, and so he went out into the Judean countryside, and he began baptizing people. Or probably what most people think, most scholars, they read the New Testament, think it's probably actually his disciples who were doing the baptizing. But John the Baptist was also to the north and baptizing people near Anion, near uh, Salim, which was this place where some scholars think there's more water there, like springs, natural springs, and so there's lots of water for baptizing people. And the, John's disciples, they have this argument with, with, a, with a Jewish person about ceremonial cleansing. And so they come to John. I'm not sure the connection. But they come to John and they say that the one whom was with us across the Jordan, that guy who you testified about, he's baptizing people too, and they're all going to him. Now in the, in the Greek, I was looking through this, they, they, they come to him and they say, Rabbi, do you know what's happening? Get a load of this guy. This guy who was a part of your ministry. This guy who would come and, and was learning from you and, and, and seemed like he was part of what we were having. Like He understood what our ministry was and now he's doing the same thing and everybody's going to him. I can hear in their voice or I can hear as I read it, their fear. What's happening to our ministry? What's happening to our quote-unquote church? I could hear them angry, resentful, envious, See, they'd kind of gotten off track. They'd gotten way off track. They lost focus. They began to realize, or they, they lost focus of the fact that what they were doing was not about growing a ministry. It wasn't, they weren't there to, quote-unquote, grow a ministry. They were there to do God's work. And if that meant a growing ministry, great. And if it meant a decreasing ministry for something different, then they need to recognize that. But see, they missed it. They missed it. They missed the fact that the kingdom of God had broken in. They missed it that, that even who Jesus was. Now, it's interesting. It's really subtle. But in the Greek, the disciples never even refer to Jesus. They, they say that one. Almost like that guy. That other guy. Not the guy that we want to follow, but that one guy. And they begin to, I think they begin to miss who Jesus is. That he's not some other competitive evangelist who's taken away their glory, but he's actually the Son of God. One who's come to, to change everything, to give us life. The Lamb who's come to take away the sin of the world. They missed it. Now, before you're too hard on these guys, they're not the first who've missed the, the purpose of their ministry. They're not the first ones who've lost sight of what, what they were doing. You know, today is the day that much of the church throughout the world is celebrating the, the transfiguration. And I was reminded as I was reading the story about how Peter, 
how in Matthew's Gospels, just before they went up to the mountain, Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they gave all these answers. And Peter, Peter says, you, you are the Christ. And then Jesus you know, explained, you know, great Peter, that this has not been revealed to you by humans, but by God. And he goes on to tell them, the Son of Man must suffer many things. He must go to Judea and be handed over to the chief priests, the teachers of the law. He must be killed, or suffer many things, and then be killed, and then be raised again. And Peter, who just said he was the Christ, says, may it never be, Lord. May it never be. And that's the famous part where Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because you don't have the things in God in mind, you have the things of, of man or of, of people in mind. You have this human idea in your head. So Peter, too, I think at that point, he had this different idea of what Jesus was doing and what this ministry should look like. I mean, I don't know, and it's, I can only guess, but I can't help but wonder if it's maybe Peter saying, you know, Jesus, we have this amazing thing happening here. We've got people starting to believe, talks of, of, of rebellion and kicking the Romans out, and I mean, things are great. What do you want to go there and suffer and die for? May it never be. See, Peter lost track of what the mission was, of what God was calling them to do. So, these guys, you can see how this happens in Scripture. And the thing, too, is that we see this happen in our lives. This losing track or losing focus of what the ministry is, or even things that are going so badly as to start to envy others. We start envying people for what they have. People that we know. We envy them. We envy them because they have maybe a nicer house or more stuff. Or maybe their family just seems like they have this perfect family. Or maybe sometimes we even envy people because of faith. It just seems like they always have it together and I just, I don't, I can't, I don't get it. So that's the thing is, envy is, is, a, is a bad thing. It works, it's, it sort of starts like a cancer, starts eating away at us. I think of envy as more like this resentment that we have for people because of what they have relative to us. Let me say that again. This, envy is, and it's worse, it's this resentment we have for other people because of what they have relative to us. Now maybe some of you are thinking, like, come on, Pastor, can't we talk about something else? Some other sin, maybe some other sin that somebody else has. Maybe envy starts getting too close to what we wrestle with. And this passage has been, it's been pretty good for me. I mean, I, God has been uh, convicting me of my own envy. That enviness is this, envy is this selfishness that's in a way twisted outward so it starts to affect other people. What's hard or what's even worse is when envy starts to creep into the church. You know, when pastors start envying other pastors because they have a bigger church or their ministry is better. Or when Christians, brothers and sisters, start envying each other within the church because somebody has too much of this or somebody's faith is too great and people start to envy each other. It tears people apart. It's like this, this acid that eats away at us. Fundamentally, this enviness or this resentment for others because of what they have relative to us, this is, like, this is fundamentally a me-centered world. Really, and, I, and I, I have this friend who, who talks about this stuff, but um, that enviness or envying others is, is when we start to think that I actually deserve what they have. I actually deserve more than I have. I deserve what they have. 
It's this way of looking at the world that is totally wrapped up in ourselves, unable to see that maybe God has for me what he needs for me. Or maybe God has blessed them in ways because he has, because they've had some other pretty difficult things that they're working through too. See, these guys, the, John's disciples, they come and they, they've missed the point. They've sort of lost focus. They've lost, they've lost track of what they were there to do and they begin to envy Jesus and his disciples and what's happening with him. But thankfully, thankfully they have John. John the, the baptizer, or John the Baptist. That he's this great guy. I mean, Jesus talked about there's like none is greater than John. And it's no wonder that God chose John or worked in John to make him the forerunner of the Messiah, to carry out this role of Elijah. John's a faithful man. And we see it in the ways that the first thing he does, he sorts out his disciples. The first thing he says to them is that no person has anything at all whatsoever except what comes from heaven. Saying that the people who have more than us, they have because they've been given it by God. It comes from heaven. So when we start thinking like, ah, that person has too much. And we're not, we have to be careful when we're not saying that person just has more than me. Because when we start thinking along those lines, we're saying, I'd say, two things. One, we're saying, fundamentally, God, you've gotten it wrong. God, you got this one wrong. They're not supposed to have more than me. I'm supposed to have more than them. The other thing, too, is we begin to say that, God, I don't really appreciate what you have done for me. We lack appreciation for what God has done in our so when John starts talking to his disciples and he says that no person has anything whatsoever if it doesn't come from heaven, I hear him talking about gratitude. And I want to encourage you, this is the first thing I think John is, is modeling for us is gratitude. Or encouraging us toward is gratitude. When we envy, it is directly proportional to our lack of gratitude. When we stop being grateful, when we start taking for granted what God has done in our lives, Sort of, oh, well, yeah, that's not that big a deal. I mean, I want what they have. That's a lack of gratitude. And it eats away at us. It eats away at me at times. But I found that as John, like as he's talking about, when I start focusing, when I start saying thank you to God, grateful for what he has done in my life, it almost crowds out envy and resentment altogether. So that's the first thing he says, is, is focus on what God has given you. Be grateful, praising God for what he's done. Praising God for the kids that you have, the family that you have, the place that you live, the fact that we have plenty of food and great places to live in. Be grateful for those things. Be grateful for salvation, for this amazing love of God. And it becomes harder and harder to be angry or to resent someone for what they have, even if it's different or more than what you have. But the other thing, John, I think is what he models for us is this, this profound sense of who he is, his identity. And as you read through John's gospel, there's, uh, see so many times where it keeps referring back to the first chapter. So many things that spark that sort of, oh yeah, I remember Jesus talking about that, that he came to give us life and life more full, but also that he came that we might be called children of God. 
That is our fundamental identity. I don't know if you've heard this before, but I want to encourage you in this. That each of you, fundamentally, your identity is child of the living God. Regardless of what your parents were like, how good or how hard they were, you have a Father in heaven. This is your identity, that in Christ you have the right to be called children of God. See, the trouble is when we stop or when we don't think of it in those terms or when we take that for granted or choose something else, we tend to put our, our value or our identity, we tend to stake our, our identity on other things. We start thinking, my identity is in the stuff that I have. The more stuff I have, the better I'm doing. You can imagine the trouble with that. Or my identity is in how successful I am. Or how powerful I am. You can begin to see the trouble with those things because those things are fleeting. And I encourage you, those are not, those are not the things that put your identity on. There's something greater. Something lasting and enduring, deeper. Being a child of God. See, John knew who he was. When his disciples came to him and said, you know, this one, this other guy who was a part of us and, and we thought he was, understood what we were doing and now he's doing his own thing, John tells them, I am not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. <laughs> I think that's a profound statement for us, even in our lives, for us to remind ourselves, to say out loud that I am not the Christ. The world does not revolve around me. But John keeps saying, he's, I'm not the Christ, actually. He says, I'm more like a sign, a sign that points to someone greater than me. Someone whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. That was John's whole role. And he understood it. This is my whole thing. This is what I've come to do, is to point to someone greater than me, to point to the Messiah. He uses his example of a, of a best man, he said, the best man does not marry the bride. The bridegroom does. The best man actually rejoices when he hears the voice of the bridegroom. He's excited that the groom is here. And John goes on to tell him that this is my joy. This is what I'm excited about. The bridegroom has come for his bride. I'm excited. You think that I should be angry. You guys are angry. You don't get it. I'm not angry at all. I am overjoyed with that, that Jesus is here. The Messiah has come, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that he is here. The kingdom of God has broken into this world. Jesus has come to give us life, life more full, life eternal, all of these things. And you guys are angry? You guys don't get it. I'm excited, I'm overjoyed. You see, it's in knowing his identity that John is then able to carry out his role. Because he knows who he is, he's able then to fulfill his role. His role, he, he talks about it with the disciples, he says that, that the one or, or this Messiah must increase, Jesus must increase, and I must decrease. Again, pretty profound words. Things I think that all of us could work at. All of us could remind ourselves that he must increase, Jesus must increase, and I must decrease. See, John knew that his role was to come and get the ball rolling. To come and begin talking with people, just to initiate the conversation, but then to hand it over to Jesus. Like a catalyst, to come and, and stir things up, 
and then get out of the way to point to one greater than himself. See, I encourage this to all of you. Whether you're the head of industry, head of a church, head of a family, you have a role that includes pointing to one greater than yourself. Pointing to Christ. When we start talking with people and we, they start pointing to us and we start welcoming that. Yeah, okay, go ahead, point to me. Go ahead and revolve around me again. We're in real trouble. Last night in our small group, we were talking about discipleship and talking about leaders and, and one of, I think it was Nick who talked about, you know, you have to be careful that, that we don't start focusing our attention on leaders. That we realize that even pastors, as much as you might love them, right? <laughs> they are not the Christ. I am not the Christ. And the moment you start putting your hope in me, you are lost. And the moment I start saying, yeah, go ahead, put your hope in me. <laughs> Please warn me. Because all of our, our role is to point to one greater than ourselves, to point to Christ. So John, is, he models this for his teachers, or for his disciples. They come, and, and thankfully John is this faithful man who sorts them out right from the beginning. But here's the thing I love about John. While he is telling them that I am a sign, he points to one greater, he points to Jesus who is greater than him. Not only, does he, not only does he model it for them, but he takes this opportunity to explain who Jesus is. He's this guy who can, it's amazing, but he takes this opportunity now to explain Jesus to them. He says, one is coming, one who comes down from heaven is above all. Yet the people are the people from earth. They're from earth and they speak of earthly things. Then he goes on to say that the one, he's referring to Jesus, the one who has, what he has seen and what he has heard, the things of, of heaven that are really real, not the shadow of things that we see here, but what's really real, the things that really matter. He has seen them and heard them, and he comes here. He has come down, and he testifies to them. He testifies to us about them, revealing to us who God is. Revealing to us who the Father is. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. He's testifying who he is. John goes on to tell him that he's been filled with the Spirit. God did not skimp on his Spirit with Jesus. And he's not just like a pond where it all collects. He's like a fountain that's filled and it keeps gushing out. The Spirit overflows out of Jesus. He reminds us that Jesus is God with us. He is Emmanuel. The Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, revealing who God is, revealing how deeply God loves us. So he says that Jesus is this one from above, but he also uses this great image of bridegroom. That Jesus is this groom who's come for his church, for his bride. Many of you have heard that passage from Ephesians, and we usually hear it in terms of husbands love your wives, of how we're supposed to love our wives, but it also talks about as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, of how deeply Jesus loves the church. So I say this because I realize that, you know, sometimes people have a hard time with church, even Christians. 
People say, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't have much use for the church. I mean, I don't really get much out of it. I think even I was there at a point. I, I think I've told you guys once or twice that when I was in seminary, I was talking with one of my best friends. And I wanted to be a professor because there's no politics in universities, right? <laughs> I want to go there where I can, you know, I don't have to deal with all the stuff of churches. And I remember talking with my friend. And I said, why do you want to be a pastor? I was honest. I was, I was sincere. Why do you want to be a pastor? He said, because I love the church. And that has always stuck with me. And it's ironic. There's actually, when he got his first call, I got to encourage him with that same story. He goes, I said that? Really? <laughs> But the more we love Christ, the more we realize how deeply God loves us and we love him back, the more we'll love the church. And I'm not saying it's perfect. I mean, we all know that. We know our own things that we do. We know, definitely, we know the things that other people do (laughs) that rub us wrong. It's not perfect. But Christ loves the church. I love the church. I love this church. I say this to encourage you. Because sometimes you may run into people, even people who are Christians, who say, like, I just, I don't have any use for the church. I just, I have enough drama in my own life. I don't need more of other people's. I just say this to encourage you that Christ loves the church. So if we love Christ, that seems that natural that we would love the church too. But as I listen to John, I realize where this love comes from. That the Father loves the Son. John reminds us of this. The Father in heaven loves the Son and those who have been given to his hand, basically his church. The Father loves the church. The Father loves the people of God, his children. It's no wonder that John, that John the Gospel writer, talks about life, about believing into Jesus, about believing into him and having life eternal. Not just life like existing, like just getting through the days, you know, paying your bills, doing your taxes. He's talking about life lived more deeply more fully. Life with joy despite the horrible things that happen. Filled with passion about what's happening. About what's happening in our families, in our community. Life where our hearts are broken by the things that break God's heart. Life more full. Life lived fully alive. Life that goes on forever. The moment we believe in Jesus. Not just that, that eternity is something that happens when we die. Eternity begins the moment we begin believing into Jesus. Life more full and life eternal. God loves the Son, and he, this is why he's given us this life as his children. But it's interesting, too, I mean, to preach the whole gospel here. John goes on to tell him, those who are believing into him, believing into Jesus, they have life more full forever. But he says those who are not believing, they will not see life. In fact, they still have the wrath of God. Now this is hard. This is hard to hear this. I don't think John is telling us this to bully people. To bully people, you know, believe in Jesus or else. Hopefully none of you ever say that. (laughs) But I think there's truth to this too. That John is speaking the truth in love. That we can't ride the fence I sort of believe, but I'm not sure yet. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a season, and it's different for everybody, of a time when you're seeking. Jesus, I want to know more about you. I'm not sure yet. I think that's valid. I know of people 
Probably many of you have similar experiences. I know that there have been times in my life where I was sort of riding the middle. But we can't live there. Because there's a point at which we're actually stop saying, I don't know if I believe, to I don't know if I want to believe. It's subtle. Let me say that again. There's a time, and it's different for each person, only you know this, when you stop saying, I don't know if I believe, which is an honest question, to I don't know if I want to believe, which is more about, I'm not sure I really want to follow Jesus. I kind of know what it means now. I've seen, I've caught a glimpse of what it means, and I'm just not, I just don't think I'm, I'm up for that. Like, I actually think I want something for myself. I want something different. So I hear John speaking honestly with us. See, this is hard for us to even talk about. It's hard for me to say, but John said it. It's part of Jesus' teaching. That there's not a, a middle way, so to speak. There's faith, there's believing into him, and there's not. Now we're all in this, we're all in this journey and moving towards Christ, but I say this to encourage us. We find ourselves sort of, oh, I think I'm going to ride the fence a bit more. To be careful with that. If it's genuine, if it's, I still have questions, I, I, Lord, please help me to understand. That's different than saying, I'm just not sure I really want to follow you. Say, so I pray that we hear God speaking today. I hear God speaking to us. I hear God speaking through John and through his disciples. They came and they envied. They resented Jesus because of what he had relative to what they had. But I'm grateful for John and the model that he gives us, the example. To be grateful. Grateful for what God has done in our lives. That's one of the best ways to, to short-circuit our resentment or our envy. But also to understand our identity that no matter what, no matter what we have or how successful we are or how powerful we are, more, more important than all of that is the reality that believing into Jesus gives you the right to be called children of the living God. That out of this identity, we can fully live into our role. We can accept our role of, of declining so that Christ might increase in our lives. But I'm also grateful. I hear God speaking to us again today about ultimately who Jesus is. As good as it is for us to look at John and to learn from him, ultimately this text, this passage of John's gospel, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus, that he is the one from above who is above all. That he's the one who comes to give us life, that he testifies about what he's seen and what he's heard. He is the one that we follow. He's the one that everybody's pointing to, even this passage. I pray this morning that again, the one from above has been revealed to you. That once again, today, the last day of Epiphany, the last Sunday of Epiphany, that once again, you realize who Jesus is again. Maybe in a way that you've never thought of before. I pray that you recognize the one from above. Amen.